Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the first ever Triptide podcast. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back to the first podcast with Sean and Dawson. Today we're going to be talking about a myriad of things, but we're starting off with this idea that burly men can have any <coughs> nickname I've heard recently mm-hmm. in the this news. I think CNN reported. Yeah, something like that. Um, so, yeah, I was listening to Breitbart. <laughs> Just kidding. Um I feel like burly men can have whatever nickname they want. So, like, imagine a big biker dude. He's got a long beard. He's got fucking, like, huge-ass earrings Mm -hmm. in his ears. Mm -hmm. Million tattoos. And his name's, like, Kitty Cat. Like, everybody in this pool hall, right? You're in in this, like, dingy biker (laughs) bar. And everyone's like, oh, don't fuck with Kitty Cat. That dude, like murdered 30 people in Nam. First off, <laughs> I, uh, he's, he's transformed from your average burly biker to a war hero, a decorated war Kitty veteran. Kitty Cat could be a war hero. Kitty Cat, I know. It is I a very beg you for your service, <laughs> Kitty Cat. What about Sally? Do you think if his name was like Sally, though, people would still respect it? It was like, there's Sally. People wouldn't just laugh. I don't think it can be a girl name. I think, like, if it's, I'm, I'm kind of defining it as cutesy. Like, big burly men can have cutesy nicknames and it's like the joke is ironic yeah pookie you think pookie would work absolutely interesting for the for the burly man i'm picturing so you you go by pookie as a burly man yourself (laughs) (laughs) well depends on the day of course well (laughs) i i get where you're coming from i do want to see it in practice but it's hard because generally burly men aren't the easiest burly you know tough guy men aren't the easiest to give cutesy nicknames because if you're the one giving it, you're going to get beat up. Really, they already <laughs> have to have the nickname, so that's where the conundrum comes. Who's giving this nickname of of Pookie or of uh, Kitty Kitty, was it? Kit, well, Kitty Cat, I think Kitty it Cat, was. yeah. So who has the balls to walk <laughs> up to this man who's a decorated war veteran and biker in a pool hall and be like, Hey, Kitty Cat, pass me a bear. Well, so either it came, the nickname came while he was over in Nam. Or this dude, you know, he has a soft side. So he has this girlfriend who calls him Kitty Cat. And then his biker friends hear about this. And they're like, oh, Kitty Cat. Like, and so then he just gets stuck with it. And he's like, well, well, guess I'm Kitty Cat now. I, I, yeah. I get, <laughs> yeah um, that's my burly man I can see. See, I envision the story a little differently. I view he's in Nam, right? And they're being flanked from all sides. Mm-hmm. Planes are dropping missiles. They gotta, yeah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, he looks out. He looks out of the bunker, and he sees this kitty cat wandering into a minefield. Uh-huh. And uh, he runs out heroically to save the kitty cat and bring it back to mm-hmm. the bunker. And he, he gets a hero's name. Yeah, he gets so a medal of honor. I could really see kitty cat serving um, and living up to his name mm-hmm. and being proud of it. I think if. He didn't like the name. That's where there'd be a weird conflict because generally tough guys, I feel like he'd have to accept his name is Kitty Cat in order for it to stick. Yeah, and you think he wouldn't? I think he would, but I think if he if he had that <laughs> feeling of like, oh, I'm stuck with it, it wouldn't be easy to do that. He would have to be like, yeah, I'm Kitty Cat. What's it to you? You know, he'd have to defend the name. Yeah, and I think he would. I, I think, yeah, this theoretical <laughs> man may or may not. He doesn't <laughs> exist, per se, so we can't ask him. I like imagining that he comes back from Vietnam from saving Kitty Cat, and he gets the Medal of Honor, and he gets invited to the White House, and then he gets to meet Richard Nixon, and Richard Nixon's like, thank you for your service, Kitty Cat, <laughs> or whatever the fuck Richard Nixon sounded like. Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon. I have an important task for you. Kitty Cat, I would like you to investigate <laughs> yeah. the Watergate Hotel. <laughs> and then once Richard Nixon calls you Kitty Cat, it's, it's cemented, cemented. Yeah. It is. Like, you're never getting away from that. So one uh, one lovely story about Richard Nixon that we love. Uh, was it Elvis who got to be a police detective, I believe? He got a special badge from Richard Nixon yeah, as like, like a this. DEA investigator. Yeah. So what I wonder, how many people did Donald Trump give out like these so super we high don't need quality to go there. We awards do not to think about like <laughs> episode one bro <laughs> <laughs> hey look whatever your political stance is donald trump and like morgan freeman together and morgan freeman being like 
I would like uh, to be a DEA agent. You think Donald yeah, Trump's going to say no? Thank you. I, I have been practicing <laughs> Stand up on the spot. <laughs> top tier comedy. A top tier Richard Nixon I imagine Donald Trump has given so many friends, family, and celebrities these high tier government positions that are secretive so nobody knows about. Like, no, Elvis had this permission, but he didn't, like, flaunt it. You know, he didn't go to stage and be like, oh, thank you very much. I am a DEA agent. He would have had no one at his concert. Well, isn't this the stereotype of the Postmaster General? What is the stereotype of the Postmaster General? Well, like, high-ranking people in politics give their friends Postmaster General positions so that they get, like, all the state and federal government benefits and pension whatnot. Uh, But, you know, what the fuck does a Postmaster General do? Like... Mm-hmm. He ain't the one delivering my mail. <laughs> <laughs> I would love if like, you walked out and the postmaster general delivered by hand like everyone's mail in his but area. I like imagining him in full uniform. <laughs> like a general. <laughs> He's the postmaster general. It's like uh, the branches of military include like <laughs> Air Force, Navy, Space Force, Coast Guard, mm-hmm. um, Army, and then uh, post, post office, really. That's the, <laughs> yeah. that's the final. The I think I yeah. am missing one, but. I do not He's remember. a five-star postmaster general. <laughs> postmaster <laughs> private is how he started out, really. <laughs> he had to come a long way. <laughs> um, what topics do we have for episode one? What else did we Um, So we actually don't have any topics. The show is over. <laughs> no. Oh, well, um, thank you for coming. One thing I wanted to talk about is the shift in society looking historically. Um, if you look recently at war, especially, how it's so prominent, uh, you see, all right, America forms, and we're like, our concept of morality is so skewed. Mm. If you look back in time, we come to this land of the free, and we're like, okay, we have a peace offering with Native Americans. We're going to give them smallpox. And that's like mm-hmm. how we come into the country. That's how we're born. And then after that, we're like, all right, we want to be the good guys. We want to be the heroes in the story and get away from British control. So we take these young men who are serving their country, dump tar on them, mm-hmm. cover them in feathers, and laugh at them because they look like a chicken. Yeah. And this is like the first good thing <laughs> we've done. This is the first positive example. Yeah, I did this last week. Who did you tar and feather? <laughs> uh, Morgan Freeman. Whoa. <laughs> I'm sorry, Morgan Full Freeman. circle, really. <laughs> so I think it's interesting how, especially youth today, you look at social media has connected the world so much. It's not we kill people and nobody knows about it. It's we kill people and there's an Instagram story about it two minutes later and all of the young people in America have access to it. So I think we tend to believe that America is this symbol of morality. But just recently, the only way we knew how to function, and I'm not saying it's bad we went to war, but was World War II. That was the only thing we really knew. We were like, well, Hmm. all of the countries are going to go to war, or all of the countries are at war. Those are the two states of being. Mm -hmm. And now with nuclear weaponry, you can't go to a full-out war, though we did discuss uh, before there's battle, that still occurs. And I think it's a weird shift where everyone's trying to figure out what to do. Like, you can't go kill somebody. And if you want to go kill somebody, you have to go up to a foreign land and fight over something less easy to justify. Now, it's always easy to look back and be like, wow, we killed Nazis, you know? How amazing. But there's not enemies to the level of Nazi. It's why in film, you don't see as many popular movies about these small skirmishes or these bombings, it's Nazis are bad. Soviet spies even, since it's a Cold War, that's interesting because they're they're a bad guy. But we don't have bad guys today so much as we Mm. have small organizations that we're keeping at bay. So I guess the question is, how do we find morality as a human race now that we're not killing people? Like, how do we get that sense of this might be the last day I die or I live when you're never going to die, when there's no one trying to kill you? How do you make every day feel like it's your last? Or, you know, the theory of making your day more important by it could be your last day. We've lost that, I think. Interesting. I feel like, well, I feel like everybody tries to live each day like it's their last. I mean, whether they remember that or not, like, there's always the chance that today's going to be your last day of life. I don't think is – is it a bad thing? Like, I think it's a pretty good thing that we're not in an active war, that I don't have to be worried about 
getting drafted to Vietnam like my dad did. Like I'm I'm in college. I don't have to worry about that stuff. I take that as a positive. I certainly agree. I think it's a positive development, but we're not prepared for it. I think we have a government set up for wartime and we're living in peacetime. So it's very confusing because I think about even like on a more personal scale, the amount of time I've wasted doing nothing. Like the mm-hmm. amount of days I sat down and I played Skyrim all day and felt this was definitely worth it. I have no regret about this. You can't do that when you might get invaded. You're going to have yeah. an amazing day and think, wow, I didn't get the Black Death. Nobody invaded my people. There's no war going on. There, that, that alone made the day super significant. And I think the problem is, without that, on a large scale, you'll look to social media. We have, um, uh, I guess it's the next revolutionary civil rights movement going on. And the reason I think we're struggling so much is we have social media leading the charge, but there's very little government influence. And you could argue that the election, the presidential, and the senators did make a large change for the movement. But they're not directly tied to it because so much of the violence is beyond the part. And I know there are still things that happen that are abysmal and could be changed on a government scale. But so much of the violence before was like, okay, this water fountain is white. This one is black. It was the most simple fix. It was we're going to get rid of that. We're more progressive. Whereas now the problem lies, I think, more with racist individuals and and small-minded individuals that are affecting the large-scale view of the world via media because Mm -hmm. you have access to everything as it's coming in. And you no longer feel like you can change your country because if you're voting, you have this minuscule vote out of two parties, and neither party represents your values. It's not like back in the day when it was, okay, regardless of if my values are represented, this person supports having a financial system in America. And we don't have one yet. So we should probably do that. Like it, It's simple, mm-hmm. basic growth. We're at a point where we're developing entertainment now because we've really developed as a country beyond the simple things. And now that it's into small things like regardless of what your stance is, abortion isn't easy. It's not something that you can look at and be like, there's no downfall, whichever side you take. There's always going to be a downfall. Whereas slavery, well, the downfall yeah. was just white people had less success – and they had less like power, but it's still very clearly easy to weigh aside and say there's no, there's no worth downside to getting rid of slavery. Everything now is a debate, and everyone has to stay on one side of the debate. Every Democrat needs to view their views the same way, otherwise they won't get elected. Mm-hmm. So I feel like we kind of trapped ourselves with our government, and now we don't have a war to rally behind to unify, so we're trying to tear ourselves apart as a country. Sure. Um, well, we were both one when 9-11 happened, but 9-11 was one of those pivotal moments where the whole country was unified. You know, like, just y- you can see all these videos and hear all these stories about, like, um, America, the United States changed on, on September 11th, on September 12th. Like, I think, yeah, we we definitely don't have unity in the country, and that's totally apparent in the election results, you know, that are still going on as of recording this. Yay, <laughs> Nevada! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, Take it's Georgia now. Georgia, yeah. Georgia. Georgia, Georgia. Sorry. <laughs> we love you, Georgia. Got, if yeah. anyone's listening from Shout Georgia. Shout out to Georgia. Hurry up. Learn to count. Come on, Georgia. What are you doing? And why don't you bring up some Zaxby's? Because that's, that's all I'm thinking about. Have you ever had Zaxby's? I have not heard of Zaxby's. It's a fried chicken place. In Georgia? Yeah. It's mm. like, a, like a Georgia thing. But I'm a Bojangles man myself, mm. which is like the Carolinas. Anyway, I can talk about fried chicken <laughs> all day long. Don't you worry. The official fried chicken <laughs> podcast <laughs> yeah. coming to you next week. <laughs> on Riptide. Um, back to trying to unify the United States. So, okay, we don't have a war right now. We're super divided. Do you think there is a process that would unify us? Uh, uh, 
is there a peaceful process that would unify us? Like, what is the alternative other than we have to have a massive terrorist attack again? I think it's difficult because it seems like such a large-scale change. And what you realize is the, the concept of world peace seems silly because mm -hmm. humanity is fighting against it. We're actively slowly realizing it's possible. And the people who are there are these monks and these Buddhists and Mahatma Gandhi and these people who say peace is an option to get what you want and showing love is an option. And we're like, wow, that person is inspiring and amazing. They don't belong in America, though. They belong in these other places in our minds. Because mm. if you think of success in America, you think of people who had to who had to play into the, the system that we have now. You think of often like people on television and you watch all of these advertisements. They're trying to sell you something and that's what funds somebody's dream. And they don't care. They love it. You watch their content and you love it. And streaming has largely, or largely removed advertisements. But there's so much finance in a real positive message existing. So many times if you see mm. somebody portraying their mind to the large mass, there's some sort of financial claim or business move behind it. And obviously there's sponsorships, but even like in our government especially, you'll see somebody go on TV and they are being paid loads of money to give the speech the way they do. Even if it's just not, not opening up about a stance they have, that is always on their mind. Mm. I am making money to portray myself this way. Yeah. And I think there's so many people without money and none of them have the power. The people with the money want to keep the power, so the of system's going to keep going. And it's hard to reach peace when there's a divide, and people without money are obviously going to want change, whereas people with money can just buy their way to ignore it. They don't have to worry about it. And there's good people with wealth, of course, but I think largely wealth motivates the country, which is making it hard to come together on a real person-to-person -person stance. Because anytime somebody gets something, you're driven into this madness of, I wish I had that. I can't believe yeah. this person has something I don't have. Instead of being happy for somebody, even if you don't know them that well. Are you a communist? So I think the next thing we're going to talk no, about no. is... <laughs> <laughs> no, the reason I ask is like, I don't know, that sounds a little communistic. Of You're trying to... Like, it's a... I feel like... Uh, in today's society, sometimes people view um, another person's success as like someone else's success is not a direct attack on you. That's that's their success. But I feel like there is some of that resentment, at least in, in our our age. And so I feel like that's why there's like this weird underground wave of <laughs> communism <laughs> within college kids. Because they take personal success as a personal attack, which is very strange. I, uh, okay, so I get, I get what you're saying, and it's weird because on one hand, I believe somebody made all of their money. They can do whatever they want with it. They had the ingenuity. They had the hard work. They had whatever it was to make money. But you also try to look at, and I don't think it's communist. I think socialism is rising and democratic values. And parts of it, of course, aren't going to work parts of it do make sense. I think at a large scale picture, people with money can buy their way around the law and they can also mm -hmm. know, like somebody who's making a million dollars every year, that person, if we took a, a, larger a larger amount of their income, it's hard for me to be against it for the sole reason that they can have everything they need for the rest of their life each year, that's how much they're making. Yeah. And they can set up, a f like every single year, you could give that money that you haven't spent and you still have saved from that year alone to somebody and they would be rich. They would become wealthy. And not just wealthy in America. Poor America is wealthy in the world. So, yeah. and obviously there's parts of Europe and other countries that are very developed, but they're rich compared to like percentages of the broad spectrum. So it's hard for me to see somebody who can buy a yacht and then buy another yacht 
and then buy another yacht, and they just have that money to keep buying them and do whatever they want, whatever obscenely expensive thing they want. And I think it's odd that they also are given power. They're not only given the power to make decisions on a broad scale, but they're making decisions for people who actually don't have money, mm-hmm. for people who are saying, I need to make this money so I'm not in debt this week, and then next week I'll do it again, and eventually I'll have a home, and eventually I'll have a car, and all of it will be paid for, and I can retire when I'm old. These people, their entire family is spending all their money on entertainment, and even if they do donate to charities, which is important, I think, on a personal level, more of like a, I would personally want to do it, but I wouldn't enforce it. I think it's hard that we're both letting them make this much money and giving them the power to make decisions for people without it. I think one of those things has to change. Well, supposedly that's where government should step in. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I mean, the reason that some of these guys are getting away with, all you know, they're getting away with not paying taxes. Like, the government... The government's job should be, you know, those people are making a lot of money. They should be paying more taxes instead of funneling their money around the world, depending on what quarter it is. They should be paying more taxes, and then the government should be distri- distributing that wealth to, to welfare programs. So that's how the system should work. S- but y- do you think it's up to Jeff Bezos to go out into the streets of New York City and every homeless person he sees hand him a thousand bucks. Is that his job? I don't think it's his job so much as I think I I find it odd because I'm unable to comprehend wealth not living in it. Oh, yeah. And I think wealth is one thing. But Jeff Bezos' wealth, I find it personally... Can't even fathom. Having lived my life, I think every single week I would go to his school just some school, and I'd be like, hi, I'm uh, trillionaire Jeff Bezos. Uh, nice to meet you. All He's of you guys, your college is paid. All right, goodbye. I'd just do something like that. Yeah. Some major donation that you'll make back by the end of the week. Yeah. Because it's, it's insanity that you're not hearing about these constant acts of charity. It's, oh, well, he donated a lot of money to this one location that who knows what exactly it goes to, but a lot of people benefit. And then you don't hear about it for a while. And then it happens again, and it's this amazing thing. I think it should be normalized. And it's weird because we live in a capitalist capitalist society. Mm -hmm. And the way we succeeded was by looking at how terrible communism is. But that also forces us to be anti-socialist ideals and throw the whole thing away. We, We keep trying to push capitalism to its limits and... I think it does hurt our country some. Well, that's why an ambulance ride is thousands of dollars. And, like, Europe and Canada laughs at us because we're like, don't call an ambulance, call a freaking Uber. Have you seen those videos of, like, Europeans? Like, they were like, here's how much an ambulance ride is. And they had, like, a bunch of um, British people react. And they were like, what the hell is wrong <laughs> with you guys? And it's because medicine is a private industry. When, so I mean, some would argue that it should be um, public. There's there's legitimate arguments on both sides, but it is interesting to see countries kind of making it work. You know, having some sort of uh, having public Medicare and or whatever. They I call think it. it's hard because. You look at politics, and they get up on stage, and they ask a candidate, what's your health care plan? And they don't have one. And they're like, but the other one sucks. And you don't really know what the other one is. You have to do, as an American, personal research Mm -hmm. to find out why that is the way it is. And when you do it, you can't change it. There's almost nothing you can do. You can just dedicate your life to changing it. And maybe when you're old, you'll have had some small impact on things turning out the way you want and you've given so much of your life to something like that. Mm. And that's I have a lot of uh, a lot of pride or respect a lot of respect for those people. But it's also hard. It's like why isn't it that, that the candidates get on stage and they say, "Here's what my plan is" and detail it in a way that everyone understands. And they're like, "Yes, this doesn't work." But we don't have a better one yet. 
Mm-hmm. Why don't they acknowledge that? And it's because they want to get reelected. They don't care about the government. And we're in a we're in a system of we want to keep the power, not we want to use it to the best way possible. Because if you use your power as best as possible, you're admitting these faults, and you're admitting secrets. It's the same with Vietnam. They were like, I can't let people know Vietnam's a scam. We're just going to hide it. And when America found out, we were like, how could you keep this from us? So it makes me wonder. Well, the Spanish-American War, too. Mm-hmm. The fake sinking. <laughs> and they do it. It's not, it's not like isolated. But it makes me wonder what we haven't found out. Yeah. Because we're supposedly in the loop. But there's no way. There's no. only like 17 people in well, the world who are in the loop. Yeah, of course. And that's in the American loop specifically. It's like 17, though? I think there's people who work at the top of the Pentagon. The president probably gets a lot, but not all of the information. And even I think people in the Pentagon don't really know everything. I think no. there's very few people who genuinely have all of the secret knowledge. And not even like the entire everyone's in the world secret, but like all of the government secrets we're holding on to. I would argue there's 13. Why? One for each colony. Okay, so here's the theory. <laughs> I, I, not, not to get conspiracy theory. Uh, you know the, the Hunger Games. Yeah. Uh, I think it's Suzanne Collins, maybe? That sounds familiar. Basically, I, I've viewed it always. There's 13 districts. I viewed it as America fails to revolt against England. England becomes the capital and takes over the rest of the world. And each of these districts is a colony that didn't succeed in revolting. Well, Dave, she's given out the map of the Hunger Games universe. I, I think it does take place on the East Coast. But, like, she she drew out the districts one time. And it makes sense to me because it, it is weird just to think. But they were not sta- – they were not – like they were just she yeah, just and she just fucking scribbled on the map <laughs> and was like yeah, here's some canon for you guys. Yeah, I think she would probably disagree because it's so open to interpretation. You know, I don't think she'd be like you're exactly right. But I think that is a weird part of imagining how different the world would be if hundreds of years ago one thing had changed. Mm. Like even though it'd probably be multiple events in the revolutionary war, if America had lost we wouldn't produce what I feel is more entertainment than anywhere else in the world. Like, we are... Mm. How are you defining entertainment? I feel like Like, we, Hollywood? Yeah, I feel like we succeed in but film, especially more than anyone else in the world. Okay, but I feel like you're just kind of... You're disregarding Bollywood, because I feel like Bollywood is a legitimate force right now. And you're also disregarding... When film was kind of being figured out... You had German and French film that were making huge headways and, and like revolutionizing how we think about film. There's there's eras in film that I feel like you can't just throw away. And I'm not throwing away the era. I think I'm saying present day, I feel the United States has come to the dominant figure in entertainment. And we wouldn't have. And even Bollywood. But Where is Bollywood? India. So is India developed enough that everyone sees a movie in the same way that the United States does? Absolutely. Interesting. We got we to gotta sit down and watch some Bollywood films because there's, there's some not, baggers Not the over film there. itself. I mean the people within India are able to consume it and make yeah. – like the film is able to make more money than a United States film. And I wouldn't be surprised oh, if absolutely. that's true because the population difference is one part of it yeah. for sure. No. I feel like Bollywood – is definitely a legitimate force against United States Hollywood. Also, you're kind of throwing away, I feel like K-pop and J-pop are also on a huge upswing. K-pop especially, like, there, I've been seeing a lot more mainstream K-pop stuff in, in my... Sh- you know, in my social media garbage <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that I could say. Oh, so there's another thing. Um... The technology revolution, mm-hmm. getting stuck in your phone. It's like a yeah. portal that you look at it and you can be in any app and minutes and minutes and minutes go by. It's been an hour. Yeah. And you're like, wow, like that hour doesn't exist in my memory. The thing I – yeah, and I sent, I sent you this one. Like you brought up how like you would waste a few hours in Skyrim and, and feel kind of guilty. I don't 
and there's an old there's a saying and I don't remember who said it so excuse my stupidity but he was like um time you enjoy wasting is not time wasted yeah time you enjoy wasting was not time wasted it's John Lennon I thought it was they is actually it have it that in the spare room up on the wall <laughs> yeah. so I've heard that many <laughs> yeah. times so I feel like me playing Skyrim I enjoy wasting that time that's not time wasted with social media, though, for me personally, uh, also there's an age discussion to be had here as well. But when I go on social media, I'm not really enjoying it. And so going on social media feels more of a waste of time. Four hours on social media feels like more of a waste than four hours playing Skyrim. But the reason I brought up age, too, is my niece, who is in high school. I'm in I'm in college. She's in high school. She will sit on TikTok for hours and that is her enjoying wasting time. So that's not time sitting on TikTok for her is not time wasted. And that Should brings me a valid point. I think what I would argue is there's levels. You see people who are super productive and we view that as better. And I think we're becoming slowly less productive. But even when I was younger, I think I have seriously gained societal skills from playing Modern Warfare with the boys. Really? Probably just social skills talking. And, but my understanding of technology and my understanding of a virtual world, and I think that might play in more. And even though a lot of it is just video game knowledge, I think it mm. does train you in a way to be like, all right, we're in a war. If you play well, you win. And I think the level below that is Skyrim, because I think it's the same thing without the social aspects. Well, you can learn you can learn storytelling through Skyrim, and that's the thing. Like, I think there's a complete story in most of our television, most of our games, most of what we're producing, and social media lacks that. Social media will take it to a thirty-second length and say, "Here's your story. Watch this punchline over." And it just repeats itself. Yeah. Whereas a game like Skyrim, you go through a cave and then you resurrect something to fight and you get this magic stone. You take it back to a wizard. It's basically playing Dungeons and Dragons by yourself on an Xbox. Yeah. And I think your brain is working. It's not only saying, how do I interact with this game? How does your brain like keep functioning enough to get better and overcome obstacles? But it's saying, what happens next? What is something that I find entertaining that is going to occur? You're thinking of these scenarios. You're watching them play out. And dumbing it down, it is just video game, and your brain's kind of going fizzle. But compared to TikTok, your brain doesn't work. It just takes in flashing. It takes in sensory, uh, sensory joy. I don't feel like it's um, in your brain anymore. It's just your senses are telling you, these colors satisfy me. These movements are linked to music in a very pleasing way over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And there's no, it doesn't box out. And TikTok has these fields of really creative content. But I personally think the limit on how long it can be means if you're spending hours on TikTok, you're probably losing development in your brain rather than gaining it. Have you ever, have you ever looked into social media psychology? Not exactly, not directly. I know we've talked about how they use colors to make it as possible to spend time there. Yeah. And like notifications. Like I can't stand Snapchat because yeah. it'll always have something left. Why I'm the same way and I don't understand. I literally just left a group chat. I think I told you this. I just left a group chat because I, <laughs> I didn't want to go in the group chat, but I was still getting badges and shit like the, the blue dot on iMessage. Um, and I th feel like... Uh, we sh we might want to save this for another one because we could spend a whole episode on social media psychology. Like, there's so much at play with how it's programmed. Like, uh, and I know it, I know more of it on the programming side rather than you know the psychological what it's really doing up here. I just know why they do certain things, um, and like it's kind of it's. It's satanic, but it's also incredibly freaking genius. Like, they were like, 
I- in old Instagram, for all you youngins out there, old Instagram, you could scroll to the bottom and it would be like, you're all caught up for a new posts that you're following today. And it would show you people that you actually wanted to see as well. It wasn't, there was no algorithm in Instagram. Now, someone was like, within the past like five years, I don't remember exactly when this update for Instagram came out or if Instagram was even the first to utilize this. But someone was like, what if you could just keep scrolling? And so they were like, Stacy, Stacy is the person who came up with this, (laughs) infinite scrolling. Uh They were like, Stacy, you're a freaking genius. Like, the, the idea of you can literally scroll through these apps forever is insane. A, insane that they have that much content, but B, like what that does to your brain and how much time you can spend on these apps and how many ads they can show you in these infinite scrolls. Like there's just so much at play that I try and think about when I'm, when I'm actually scrolling. Cause I'll get, I'll get stuck scrolling infinitely. And, uh, you know, I'll get to post however, you know, 3004. And I'm like, Damn, they they got me. <laughs> Damn it, Stacy. Where am I? <laughs> I uh, what I find crazy too is that they they directly took out what you're going to Instagram for, your homepage, <laughs> seeing people you know, and they're like, this is now the meme page that you get sucked into. This mm-hmm. is the same thing. You're gonna scroll down. You're gonna see new things, and it's always gonna be new. You never subscribed or asked to see this content. But we're going to show you something meant to grab your attention. Mm-hmm. And the second it ends, we're going to do it again. And it scrolls for you. And it keeps going. What's even more fascinating is they're not even the ones making the content. They, all social media is, is they just figure out a way to deliver short snippets of information, whether good or bad. It, they're just delivery services. They're like, here's information organized in a in a matter that no one could have predicted 10 years ago like and it's crazy it's odd how you almost look at advertisement and you think sometimes you think this is just dumb most car commercials you'll see a kid it's something like a kid with cancer and his dog's about to get hit by a truck but then the truck's like wait I'm a Ford, and it transforms into an Autobot <laughs> or something, and then picks up the dog and cures the cancer and runs away. And what everyone Ford commercials? I've been watching a lot, been but it, it's so unrelated to the car. It's like you feel I'm amazing. That's what they're selling you, basically. Yeah, they're saying you feel wonderful, you feel happy, Ford. They're not saying directly, "Here's why," because most of the things in the Ford commercial and every other car commercial is basic stuff in every car commercial. When I well. I'm going to disagree with you on this one. Okay. Because I think the Ford's marketing is for the F-150, because they have a bunch of other commercials. But for the F-150, they're like, A, this is America's truck. So there's your appeal to patriotism and nationalism, which is huge right now. And it's manly. Like driving the F-150 is manly. Here's a dude at a construction site. He's putting some I-beams in the back of his F-150. Here's a cowboy who is putting, I don't know, three bulls <laughs> in his F-150. <laughs> like, Can it hold three bulls? Is that really the, is, are that they might really be bullshit. that tough? <laughs> anyway, those were two <laughs> great punchlines in, <laughs> in the same moment. Um, Ford specifically is, we're so manly. And we're we're we are American men. American men drive Ford. I think I picked probably not the best example, especially I do think Ford built tough isn't a bad campaign. You're kinda thinking of Budweiser when they do the freaking puppy ripping my heart out and they're like <laughs> it's like this puppy gets separated from his best friend who's a horse and it's like, Oh my god, is he ever gonna see his best friend again? And then they have this joyous reunion and you feel so you s- feel so warm, and you're like, yes, this freaking puppy found his best friend, and now the Super Bowl's back on. <laughs> and I do think, I see, um, yeah, I, I think even Ford, though, has the appeal to patriotism 
is them selling you an emotion rather than their product. And I think everyone does this. Okay. But I think luxury cars especially. You'll be driving around this super nice city, and it'll just be talking about, like, your life is good. Women find you attractive. Yeah. You want some beer? Here's a beer. Take Toy- a cold bro, beer. Toyota is <laughs> Toyota is taking a page out of luxury car brands. Like, you'll see a Lexus commercial, and then you'll see a Toyota Camry <laughs> with the same exact shots <laughs> and storyboard as the Lexus one. And it, it's gotten so bad. You remember the Matthew McConaughey Lincoln commercials? Oh, of course. They were selling you Matthew McConaughey talking to himself. Yeah. They weren't selling you a Lincoln. I but they no had the brand, so you talked about <laughs> it. So you thought about it, and you were like, Lincoln. You wanted to say, you want to say, Lincoln. All right, all, all right, right, all right. right. That's all you were thinking. But you were thinking about You were Lincoln. thinking Lincoln. Exactly. And I don't know whether it's genius or terrible. One of the worst car commercials, I think, I can't remember what brand it was. We're going to go with, like, uh, a Schmaltzy, right? But basically, okay. they, they were like, here's the new Schmaltzy 2018. Mm-hmm. And their ad was people would be like, yeah, I'm in the Schmaltzy. People would walk outside. They'd look for it, and they'd be like, I can't find it. And it's like a Buick. A Buick. They're like, yeah. it's the, the Buick. The is good, too. Yeah, it's the Schmaltzy. It's a Buick. Their advertising is, our cars are so bad. We made a decent <laughs> car. It's not recognizable. You don't understand it's a Buick because it's so not garbage. Well, and to me, it's like, how on earth are you going to put down everything you've ever made <laughs> to make the same uh, quality of car most people do? <laughs> well, Buick, Buick was seen as like your grandparents' car. Like if you're if you're going to Temple on Sunday, you're you're riding in a Buick. <laughs> like, but w- they betrayed their own brand for the sake of a cheap, a cheap gimmick, and I don't like that because mm. I think if you're gonna betray your brands, you have to be offering a real renovation to the table because even though it was new, it wasn't something that we didn't see in other car companies. It wasn't just a generic car. It was just a newer Buick. It was new yeah. for them alone, yeah. and I guess that's what they're selling. But to me, it was like play off why, like play off the fact that it's old, play off that people know Buick, play off the fact that your grandparents had a Buick, like do something besides stabbing your brand in the back and saying, "Look how much we suck." We yeah. don't anymore. <laughs> but to to, to tie well, it together, but this is why you don't see a Mitsubishi commercial because they're like, we didn't build. Planes that bombed Pearl Harbor. <laughs> Welcome to the new Volkswagen. Don't ask how we got it. <laughs> or, well, Mercedes built tanks for Hitler, but they don't want you to know that. <laughs> Look, they, and here's part of that. I want to, first off, I'll tie it together. Social media, I feel like, advertises itself while you're using it. You don't look at mm-hmm. social media ads on TV, really. You look at them on social media. It's trying to constantly sell itself to you while you're using it because it's all about the time mm. spent. It's not buying or downloading Instagram. It's spending time there. Yeah. So it, it switched advertising to the same thing as a product. Have you been on Instagram today? Not today. They added a shopping tab. So it's literally like all the ads that were on Instagram, they just put it at the bottom and you can just shop on Instagram now. And – what I found crazy about Instagram specifically, these last two days, the mobile app had serious issues. I thought my phone was messed up. I looked it up to their, like, reports thing, and the reports skyrocketed. And for two days, I couldn't, like, load my For You page, but more importantly, my DMs. If I loaded my DMs, it would never load. They came in. I sent them out. I couldn't send or receive pictures, and I couldn't get it to load. It would just constantly say there's something sending, despite the fact that it wasn't. And hmm. I was like, how does a massive company spend this long to fix it? And it was probably because they were spending time implementing a shopping tab. That's probably what happened. Like, the update to fix it was the same one as how do we make people buy things on Instagram now. Mm-hmm. But I found, it, I found it odd just to think that we consider this a problem. People recently were not – they didn't have an Instagram. They didn't have any social media. And 10 years, in 20 years – I do seriously wonder, will I ever have Wi-Fi problems? Or will technology Mm -hmm. genuinely be poor people have high-speed internet and nothing really takes any time to load? Yeah. I feel like we're already starting to get there. with with Now with 5G, Verizon's really trying to push 5G right now. And that's a whole argument there because no one's really ready for 5G, nor... 
does anybody truly believe that they can do it right now? Well, it does there? cause coronavirus, so yeah. I think that's the main drawback of 5G. <laughs> um, yeah, well, they're trying to do – I know there's a few um, like skyscraper-type buildings where like they have routers in the ceiling that are like always projecting Wi-Fi onto you no matter where you are in the building. You know, they're trying to ex- expand bandwidth to it, its absolute limits, which is pretty interesting. I My router is um, – I have a router upstairs connected to the Ethernet, and then I have another router downstairs, and they actually communicate. And so the second router is kind of like an amplifier, and it, it strengthens the Wi-Fi in the living room. And I've heard of things like this before. And it's weird that innovation is kind of falling off for just more of the same thing because the the technology we have is so advanced. Instead of looking for a stronger signal, we're like, we'll just make the same signal twice because it's starting not to cost that much for devices. Considering like back in the day, you had to renovate the TV, but your house had a TV, a singular TV. Most people I know now have two. Bro, when... I mean, when I got a TV in my room, which I didn't even, you know, when I, the, I was in like eighth, seventh or eighth grade, I got a TV in my room and I was like, holy shit, like I have a freaking TV in my room. Like I'm, you know, I have a big dick now. Like that's just, that is the correlation. That's how I viewed it in my mind because anytime I wanted to use a TV, either had to be in the living room, which was hardly ever an option because of my parents. No one's taking the TV away from, from dad. <laughs> and then my parents had a TV in their bedroom because they're selfish. <laughs> <laughs> so what I think is crazy, too, is this is all happening on a suburban middle class level. Like this is still I'm sure there's still neighborhoods where one TV is deluxe and well, there's going to be neighborhoods where one TV is standard and there's going to be neighborhoods where two tvs is standard mm-hmm. but it's all just shifting up it's shifting to more yeah you have more things because it all costs less because it's less important because it's not new and because it's easier to produce and there's so many and there's so many new versions they're trying yeah. to sell there's there's i feel like in suburbia there's this unwritten rule where the largest tv in your house has to be the living room tv you can have a 56-inch in the living room, but goddamn, you're only allowed a 54-inch <laughs> in your room. Like, um, That's definitely the case in my house, and I feel like most houses I've been to, the largest TV has been in the living room. But then at school, one of my roommates was is a pretty wealthy dude, and he had the same size TV in the living room as he did in front of his bed and i was like you can do this <laughs> is this a lot it, it takes the personal my tv and splits it off from the living room tv because it's really rarely your tv when you're growing up yeah but at college you consider anything you bring yours even if it's your family's yeah and it's odd because you want to have a it's good living room tv pr- but you're it. also motivated to have a good my room tv because you're going to be spending time in your room away from other people, and you brought it, so mm-hmm. you're making the decision, which I think causes that shift some. Um, I'm at a weird point. My parents, how do you how do you feel about cable? We are getting rid of cable. We are actually yeah. dropping cable for we're, we have Netflix, we have Hulu. I think I have Showtime now, and my mom got a Boomerang subscription, and I think nice. they want to get Disney Plus, and she's trying to find a way to watch sports, watch things like Jeopardy, um, yeah. miss you Alex Trebek, and Rip. and watch like other things that we just watch normally on TV without cable because cable costs a lot and we barely use it. My parents will never get rid of cable, I'm convinced, because all they watch is the news. But um, I feel like I won't have cable when I move out, if I move out. Um, I definitely feel like I wouldn't have cable, but I, I don't even know if I'd want a TV in my bedroom. 
and maybe that'll change when I'm older. But <coughs> like right now, when when I when I had that TV in my bedroom in seventh and eighth grade, that's because I had my Xbox in there as well. Um, but right now I don't have a TV in my bedroom because I watch anytime I'm I'm hardly in my bedroom, but anytime I watch something in there, it's on my phone. And I was about to say, computers are basically televisions exactly. now. Exactly. I can not only I I have Hulu, Spotify, all. Of Why that would on you there. buy a Roku? Well, I guess price. Yeah. But like, I consume all of my streaming services on my computer. And even I I can get television on my computer. I watch Rick and Morty season four through some sort of um. Is it legal? networking. Yes. Okay. University of Delaware gave to me as oh, a student. Do you have Philo? Maybe. We used to have Philo. And I found it. It was like, I just have an extra TV, basically. Yeah. But it's smaller. You want a TV in the living room for movies. Yeah. And for that ambiance. And for a sports game where people are all gathered around and to share. But I feel like you really do need one of those, and that's the only TV you need in the house. Yeah. Because the rest of it has moved onto every device you have. And, and your Xbox, your game station is also – like you have to connect it to a TV, but it provides every streaming service you need yeah. instantly on you. You don't need a smart TV. You just have to hook it up to any gaming you device. You just have to have an HDMI on your TV, and almost all TVs do now. Even so. for your computer, you can probably – hook that up, I think, and play it off the Xbox on your computer these days. Yeah, if you have a uh, Microsoft, like if you have Windows. Uh, man, so what I think, the console wars, for all you youngins out there, mm -hmm. us boomers, we lived through something called the console wars. Xbox 3 and PlayStation 4 were a big part of Xbox the console 360. wars. Xbox 360, yeah, not Xbox <laughs> 3. Xbox 360 and PlayStation 4. We just got 4. the Xbox 1. We're, we're going out of order, <laughs> but... Xbox existed. It was the greatest thing. PS2 existed. I have played both. They were superior to anything at their time. It was amazing. But now we have developed to the point where games are so forward, and there's so many on your computer and Cross on your phone. Platform. And just games are everywhere, virtual games. So they have to up their game. And Xbox thrives from its market. PlayStation thrives from its market, or its market. I think personally, the PS4 outdid the Xbox One in making their console user friendly, which is huge for me because I don't like the Xbox One's UI. Yeah, we've gotten to what PS5 and Xbox Series X. That's lame, but it doesn't seem like the console war is so huge anymore. No, it seems, and maybe it's because we're older and we're not going to spend time on these consoles. I'm not even going to buy one. I don't think if it's not like a year from now or something that I do. Yeah. But there's still main marketing is to say, buy this and play these games or buy the same thing made by a different company. And you can only play with that one company. And now we're getting to the point where it's not even going to matter. Because I think by the next generation, almost everything is going to be cross-platform between yeah. them. The biggest difference now is UI. And the biggest difference for me is controller. Because... I hate the PlayStation controller. Like, I, I do not – I don't know what it is. I Maybe it's because I learned to play video games on the 360, essentially, like discounting the N64 or whatever the fuck they were doing <laughs> with their controller. <laughs> um, and just the, the idea of the two joysticks being right next to each other, like, it's just m so uncomfortable for me. And that's that's definitely a very picky, you know. If if I got a PS Five for Christmas, obviously not going to complain about it. You know, I would learn to get used to that controller. But my main thing is, if I'm going to buy the next console, I want the best controller. And Xbox, like I just feel way better with an Xbox controller in my hands. What's crazy too is the the Wii. Nintendo has always been like, you want to have fun with your friends. That's our console. They've no. never competed in the console wars. No. They've never been a valid choice, yet everyone wants a Nintendo product. Of course. Because it is the best thing for people coming to your house. This, these, the Switch is honestly 
one of the most revolutionary consoles in, in our lifetime. Absolutely. And it doesn't hold <coughs> many games, which I found interesting. Yeah. If they made the Switch hold the amount of games the Xbox could hold, the Switch could probably be a standalone console for it'd have all to you'd be need for the rest of your life. It'd have to be bigger. It would. Solely because you have to have a larger hard drive. And what I think, and I feel like you could implement like a disk system, but we're trying to stray away from that. We're trying yeah. to make everything bought Digital. on a platform, um, which is crazy to me. Well, it's all so they can cut out the middleman. Because if I buy a game from GameStop, not all that money goes to Microsoft or Sony. But if I buy on their, their store online, they get all the money. And I'm sure they're mad that they have to be cro- or they have to be like your old games are still playable. For the sole sake, they can't get rid of the disc compartment entirely. They have to keep it because you want yeah, to be able to put your Black Ops disc in from before and keep playing it. Yeah. Well, the I don't. I'm assuming the PS5 still does disc. I don't know that, but I know the Series X is discs. But Xbox sells um, another Xbox that is digital only, but it's still with the new. Um, like 60 frames. And that's the first step because by next generation they might be able to only sell that and find a way to be like all these old games if you like I don't know either you show proof we give it to you that takes a lot of effort or they're just included or something Mm -hmm. and you only have to buy the new games. And I know they don't like to do that because they love to sell games for $60 after 60 years they don't It's not even $60 anymore. It's like 70? Oh yeah. Easy. It's like for a freaking well, EA is a different monster, but Star Wars Battlefront, like Deluxe Ultimate, <coughs> you know King Midas Edition, like it was a hundred and twenty dollars, and I was like, that is about half of the price of my console right now. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Why is this game a hundred twenty dollars? And it's so amazing how much people will pay for things. I recently was looking at a charger, an Anchor charger. Now, I like the company Anchor. I'm pretty sure they're the same one that makes my portable speaker. It was just a phone charger, an iPhone charger, a lightning cable, but it was made of gold, and it was $100. Hell yeah. And I was like, this is awesome. This would be amazing to own. Really? And I wanted to buy it. That's surprising. But there was no chance I would be able to convince myself to because no. there's things I need money for. Mm-hmm. But... It blows my mind how it was so easy to consider buying something so uselessly luxury mm-hmm. just for the sake of it exists and Amazon's trying to sell me it right now. Well, there are restaurants that sprinkle gold flakes on your salad and shit. Yeah, but those I think are for poor people <coughs> who like spending money. Like they get a rush from, oh, this cost more. Yay. That's what they're looking for. And mm-hmm. I think these are the people we talked about earlier who have the money to waste and also control the power over people who don't, the people who buy gold flake salad. Like, those people are obnoxious to me because I would want to try it, and if I had money, I'd consider it. Really? But I think you'd have uh, – if I had money, money, like if I were loaded. I feel like no matter how rich I'd be, just coming from where I've come from, I would, I would never feel – I could be a trillionaire, and I would never feel comfortable buying the gold flake salad. I think I am so driven to try everything in the world that I would want to eat it once and then be like, that was not worth it at all. <laughs> um, I think I'd want to do that. Kind of almost like uh, you see social media people. They'll be like, I spend $100 on a mobile game. How does it go? And they're like, yeah, this sucked. It wasn't worth it. It wasn't fun. Didn't enjoy it. Hated it. That's their analysis. But people watch it. They're like, I want to see what this looks like. I want to feel $100 on a mobile app. And this person's willing to spend it because they're like, I find a way to justify it. I make a video out of it. Yeah. I think the tax write-off for his business. Pretty much. (laughs) I think if I were loaded, I'd want to try it. But I'd have to donate, like, money before I did so. Okay. Knowing that that I am wasting money on a salad that doesn't taste good. <laughs> it probably yeah. doesn't even taste that good. It's probably just like gold flakes in a normal salad. Yeah. Or it's an amazing it's salad, I think it's and it tasteless. costs even more, and it's <laughs> wasting more money. <laughs> well, we are at 59 minutes. So my closing question for you is, does Kitty Cat 
buy Gold Flake salad. Kitty cat. <laughs> what? Kitty cat. Isn't he a biker? I don't think many people in biker bars serve Gold Flake salad. The salads. man's name is Kitty cat. He's this full of surprises. I don't think he does. I think <laughs> Kitty cat gives that money to children in need. And animal shelters. <laughs> I think Kitty Cat invests in oh. animal shelters with that money. Yeah. I don't think he's loaded enough to be wasting it on he's he's salad. a He's a cat mom now. A crazy like his ex- cat ex- man. Yeah, are there crazy experience. cat men or are there only crazy cat ladies? Because I've never heard of a crazy cat man. Maybe <laughs> at that point you're just Adam West. <laughs> are you being sexist? I'm not being sexist. <laughs> I'm just saying when's the last time you've heard the term crazy cat man? Leave a comment down below. The last time you've heard Crazy Cat Man, or if you think Kitty Cat eats Gold Flake salad. Yeah, let us know. Let us know. Uh, let us know where you're from. Let us know your social security <laughs> number. All Please. in the comments down below. Yeah. Please leave it uh, and have a great day. Our zero listeners. <laughs> <laughs> to all the people I told to come listen to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you for coming and listening to, to this podcast. To all the boys I've loved before. Thank you. You want to donate? Just give me <laughs> money. You know me. I'm yeah. pretty sure you physically uh, know us. <laughs> at this but point. if you don't, well, yeah, we'll figure out. Welcome aboard. We'll figure out a way to obtain that zero dollars. We'll get mm. it in the links for you. Thank you for taking a dive into the trip tide. Boom. <laughs>